Wow, it's like a mass exodus. Well, good afternoon. It's really nice to see you all. It's nice to actually be back in our own church. We were away um, last week over in Wigan. Great place that that is. Um, We were celebrating my dad's 70th birthday. And uh, while we were there, I was preaching twice in the church there um, in the morning and the evening. I said to them that for a change I was using them as guinea pigs because normally, I suppose what preachers do is they try to think of what was their best talk during the year and do that one when they visit somewhere else. But, uh, But this time I prepared two new talks which we're going to do here in the autumn. So they got a sneak preview, so they were the guinea pigs this time. So, and, uh, and nobody kind of got up and left, so you can look forward to that in the autumn. I think we'll be okay. The, the talk that we're thinking about today maybe should have happened next week. So it's next Sunday, Father's Day. Yeah. I, I don't know these things, but ne- ne- next week I, I thought I heard a whisper it was Father's Day. And the passage that Emma read to us uh, mentions fathers. Uh, but we're, we're going to do it this week, a week early. Um, Emma, Emma read those four verses to us and she said to me, is your sermon going to be four minutes long to match the length of the reading? And I'll do my best, but I think it, I can't promise that it'll be as short as that. Last week, Ian was talking about marriage. Next week, Jai is going to be speaking about work. And this little section in the middle, only four verses we said, is really all about uh, family. We've reached the very practical part of the letter. We've seen a lot of theology. And now in this letter we're seeing how Paul applies his theology to the practical matters of real life. On the surface of it, these verses are quite short and straightforward. Um, but in some way, I have to say that this, this has felt like one of the hardest talks I think I've ever prepared. And I'm not complaining when I say that. that you know, that is my job. And I enjoy it, and it's a challenge. And I've known the Lord's help in doing that. But I, I'm not exactly sure why it was hard to prepare this. I, I, I think two things spring to mind. One is that this is a very personally sensitive subject. The relationship between a parent and a child is in many ways a crucial relationship for all of us. We're we're not all parents here, but we are all children as far as I know, unless you came into the world by some other strange method that I don't know about. We we all have have been and are children. And every one of us, I think it's true to say, is profoundly shaped by our relationship with our parents and I think it's worth just acknowledging at the start that for many people that will be a happy experience for some people that will be a painful and difficult thing to think about one preacher I came across in researching this this week said that when he preached on this passage in his own church he was completely taken aback by the response of many, many people in his church because it's, this subject seemed to touch the very deepest places 
uh, in the hearts of the people he was preaching to. And I, and I think for those of us who are parents, uh, some of you have recently become parents, some of you are about to become parents, everything changes when you become a parent. American pastor and writer Tim Keller says that when someone has children, they can never again be happy. Which kind of makes you sit up and take notice. I feel fairly happy. I've got children. What he meant by that is that from the moment you have a child, your own happiness is completely bound up with their happiness. When they're sad, you feel sad. And in a sense, you're not free as an individual person any longer to truly feel happy because the well-being of your child kind of is attached to your own happiness. Uh, here's another thought though. This is also, it's not just a personally sensitive subject. I think it's fair to say that this is a culturally emotive and at times controversial subject. Society's opinions on family and children and parenting are constantly changing. What people think about equality, freedom, attitudes to discipline, personal choice, all these things are in play too when we come to a passage like this. And of course, in the last few years, we've seen an explosion, haven't we, of publicity in the media about historic uh, child abuse. Um, Rotherham has been in the news for all the wrong reasons in relation to that very topic. So the reality is that none of us are spectators when we come to think about this topic, are we? We're all part of families. We all live in this society. So we're not sitting in an armchair kind of pontificating about these themes. These things touch us all very, very deeply. And we feel, I think, the messiness and, uh, of real life and, and the difficulties that, that we often experience that attach to these issues. So even though these verses are short and sweet and quite straightforward, it seems to me that they're massively relevant both to our own hearts and to the culture that we're part of. So let's, uh, let's get into it. We'll try and uh, walk through these verses in a little more than four minutes. First of all, I want you to notice, and not just skip over this, that Paul here is writing to a Christian church. Um, he's not writing as a politician. He's writing to people as their pastor. He's writing to Christians in a church. He's really saying to them, you guys are followers of Jesus. Here is what that should look like in your house, in your home. And isn't it great, by the way, that when he writes to a church, he includes children in his letter. We shouldn't pass over that. This is an intensely profound letter. And yet here we get to chapter 6, and Paul says, children. He's not just speaking to the adults. He isn't ignoring the adults or neglecting the adults. He, he, what that says to me, what that should say to us, is that in the church, it was normal for families to be part of the church. 
as a whole. And that when church gatherings met, children were there. And when Paul writes the church, he addresses children because children were involved. Children are not to be ignored or neglected. Jesus was like that in the Gospels, wasn't he? People brought children to Jesus and the disciples told them to get lost. He's too busy. <laughs> and Jesus was, it says in the Bible, he was indignant. What on earth are you playing at? He smashed his disciples out of the way and said, let the little children come to me. I'm not too busy to have time for children. Anyway, the thrust of the passage is very simple. Paul has a word for children and he has a word for parents and in particular in this passage fathers. It's interesting isn't it that Paul in all of these little practical things he always has something to say to both sides husbands and wives children and parents workers and employers he's got something to say to everyone. So I want to just um, divide our time in two and we'll speak as Paul does to children first which is all of you by the way um, and then we'll speak to parents so children obey your parents how, how does that sound to you Paul, Paul gets straight to the point doesn't he children obey your parents. I want to develop two points under this heading. And the first is our parents, in a sense, represent God Himself to us. When a little baby first emerges into the big wide world and is held by its parents, when it looks up into the face faces for the first time of its mum and dad these strange people are standing in a sense in the place of God to that little child it's interesting that Paul refers to the ten commandments here he, he talks in verse 2 about the fifth commandment honour your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise we'll get to that in a minute Sometimes Bible scholars divide the Ten Commandments up into a six and a four. Because what they say is, the first four are all to do with your relationship with God, and the last six are all to do with your relationship with other people. It almost seems like a bit of a mistake to me, that. Cause I, and, and to a Jewish mind, a Jew, when, it, when a Jew looks at the Ten Commandments, they talk about the two tables of the law, five on one side, five on the other. And the significance of that is that the fifth commandment, which is really about other people, is not just about any old other person, is it? It is putting the, the, the commandment about parents in the first half of the commandments, which deal with our relationship with God. And even that arrangement underlines the fact that, in a sense, how we treat our parents points often to where our hearts are in relation to God I, I don't think I'll be alone in saying this when I was a teenager I thought my parents were stupid I really did they were not cool they were out of touch with reality as I saw it 
funnily enough, I've changed my mind a lot on that since. But um, my, my, my point is here, as we think about this, it will really help us, I think, today to think in terms of the role of a parent rather than thinking about our specific individual parents. Does that make sense? So as, as we're talking about, if you can, don't, don't think so much about your own parents. Think about the role, or if, in, if you like, the office of being a parent. And let me say some things under that heading. So, honouring the role. Honouring the role of our parents, first of all, is something that makes society stable. Maybe you'll disagree with me afterwards, but I'm not aware of any culture in the world that thinks that children should routinely disobey their parents. Do you? Wherever you go in history or geography, I think all cultures uphold this idea that children somehow should be obedient to their parents. Societies cannot function without some kind of order. And I, I mean, we can talk about that as an assumption. I'm assuming that that's an acceptable given. And even Paul here seems to assume that everybody basically accepts this. Look at what he says in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord because they know more than you. He doesn't say that. Children, obey your parents in, in the Lord because you came from them. He doesn't say that. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? Because it's right. <laughs> that's, his, that's his argument. His reason. It, it's almost like, he says, this is a natural law. It's like gravity. It's, it's like any other law. This is one area where our cultures generally agree with the scriptures. Well, I've got a quote here. One writer says, Virtually every culture and every society recognises and is indeed built on the premise that children are to respect and obey their parents. When this is absent, it is a sign of decadence and degeneration. Paul doesn't say obey your parents because they're older than you or that they're wiser than you. What he's underlining here is the role of parents. The, the quote there seemed to hint at the fact that when parents are not honoured, that is a sign generally that a society is kind of losing its moral moorings. Is that the right word? Um, when Paul writes about societies that are in a very poor state, he twice in the New Testament says that a mark of that is children disobeying the parents. Romans chapter 1, um, he talks about um, a society there. And he talks about people being gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only 
continue to do these very things but also approve of those who practice them it's almost like it's almost like for Paul disobedience is a mark of a bad society we could go to 2 Timothy chapter 3 um, oh we don't need to change to it it says the same thing 2 Timothy 3 2 if you're making notes the same idea disobedience in the home is the mark of a culture that is going astray but the stability thing is hinted at with the promise here as well uh, Paul says in verse 2 honour your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may endure a long life on the earth this is a difficult concept because Paul is quoting from the Old Testament and that original promise said that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God has given you here he rephrases it in a New Testament way to apply to all we haven't got time really today to tease that out but I think the basic point Paul's making is that where children honour their parents generally it leads to peace and health in life obedience will keep children safe generally spare them from harm and help to develop strong healthy, balanced, mature good characters I think that's something of what Paul's alluding to when he makes or applies that promise let me say something else that's I didn't really want to say but it's culturally important I think honouring the role of our parents is not about superiority Uh, the reason I say that is because our culture really struggles with concepts of equality and I think part of the reason for this is that in western cultures we tend to assume that ultimate authority resides in the individual that's not true in all cultures but it's true in western cultures so individual choice becomes the trump card this is what fundamentally matters people being able to self-determine their lives and destinies so for us in the west here words like obedience or submission which Paul is really talking about thematically here are loaded with very negative connotations these words sound regressive and old fashioned and immediately we think who has the right to tell someone else what to do or how to live this idea is against freedom it's against equality it can even be dangerous I think it's very possible that some parents feel afraid in a sense to impose any values on their children for fear of somehow breaching their human rights but I I want to say that having authority does not necessarily imply superiority and our modern culture tends to equate and conflict those two things if someone assumes authority they must think that they're better than me but it is possible for two people to be equal and yet have different roles on the, on the few occasions I've been stopped by a policeman not proud of that I don't get out of my car and think who do you think you are do you think you're better than me he is a human being equal in status 
to me as a human being, but he has a different role in society. It doesn't make him a better person than me. But for the stability of society, the two of us as equally dignified human beings have different roles. And so he tells me to stop driving too fast and I have to obey him. I don't kind of get in my car and say, I don't have to do what you say. Well, maybe I did sometimes when I was younger, but I don't do that anymore. It is possible for equality to coexist with authority. And the Bible helps us here because it affirms and upholds the fact that children are precious as people in their own right. They are not property to be disposed of. They are not animals to be trained. They are created in God's image, just as parents are. And so there's a fundamental equality and dignity, but they have different roles. And we're to honour the role and office of parent for the sake of the stability of our society. There's another little point here as well, though. And this, this um, honouring our parents needs to be age-appropriate. It's very interesting here that, did you notice that Paul says more than the Ten Commandments do? The Ten Commandments do not say, obey your father and mother. The Ten Commandments say, honour your father and mother. But Paul says, obey them. That's interesting, isn't it? for him to almost go further than the Ten Commandments go. What's that all about? I think that suggests here that Paul is aiming at younger children here in the church. And what he's, what he's doing is saying there is a general principle here that the role of our parents is to be honoured but the particular way that we do that will vary depending how old we are. So it's appropriate for a five-year-old or a ten-year-old or maybe older to... to, to the way you can honour your parents if you're young is to be obedient to them. But if you're 25 or 35 and your dad calls you up and says, here's what you should do, you, 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 there's something dysfunctional going on if you feel that you need to obey your parents when you're an adult. You, but the command to honour your parent is still there the Ten Commandments didn't just disappear when you reach 21. So the point is that there is age-appropriate ways of honouring your parents. When, when we're young, it's appropriate for us to obey our parents, and that's why Paul says it here. It's a specific application of a general principle. To younger children, obedience means to listen well. To be intentional. To have a heart that wants to be obedient. But the commandment still applies to those of us who are older and have parents. How can we honour them? One writer says, Honour is a decision to treat your parents with dignity and with courtesy and a decision to provide long-term loyalty to their best interests. 
treating them with courtesy and respect, listening to them, thanking them. Here's an interesting thought. I read one writer who suggests that parents have a deep need to see their children reflect something of them. One way we can honour our parents is to share with them the things that we learned from them. Or the thing that we do because they did it to say to our mum or dad I used to love the way you dot 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 and I find myself doing that without even thinking about it. What a lovely way to honour your parents. To show them that there's something of them reflected in the way you live your own life. So there's something age appropriate. Fourthly, um, I want you to see briefly that this, that this is sensible and realistic. What do I mean by that? Let me put it this way. Can you imagine if the Ten Commandments said, Number five, admire your parents. What if your mum and dad were scumbags? Some people's parents are. What if number five said, like your parents? What if they were just obnoxious? What if commandment number five said, trust your parents? What if your parents are constantly letting you down? What if the fifth commandment said, respect your parents? What if your parents were completely dysfunctional and very, very hard to respect? What if commandment number five said, agree with your parents? What if your parents were wrong on a lot of things? If this is how things were, some of you, some of us, wouldn't be be able to obey the Ten Commandments, would, would we? Without being dishonest. But that isn't what the Ten Commandments say. It's very significant that God says to us, honour. You can do that even if you can't do any of the other things I mentioned, can't you? You don't have to like them. Praise God if you do. You don't have to admire them or agree with them on everything. But even if you can't do all the other stuff, you can honour them. Can you not? What God is saying is that the role and office of parenting is the most foundational and basic building block of society. And if the role of parents is not honoured, society itself begins to crumble. And it is a sensible and realistic command. Let me say one final thing under this heading. This reminds us that we are morally accountable creatures. This is not just a natural law, but a divine one as well. We are individuals, but we're not just individuals. Life is not random. We are not just whoever we decide to be. We are made in God's image. And therefore, precious. And we are accountable to our Creator. And the whole structure of society 
is designed by God to reflect some of that reality. And the way we honour or dishonour our parents will be to some degree a reflection of our honouring or dishonouring of God himself. I said that I was going to split this into two subheadings, so I'm going to contradict myself now. Our parents represent God to us. But let me slightly, slightly contradict myself. But the truth is that our parents can never ultimately be God to us. It is all too easy for us to end up either idolising or resenting our parents. So I want to say, remember that while your parents did and do represent God to you, they are not ultimately a God substitute. And if you're frustrated with your parents because they've let you down, it is because deep down in our hearts we long to be loved unconditionally, don't we? We long to be understood and treated as an individual. We crave supportive care on the one hand and freedom to be ourselves on the other hand. And in the end, the ultimate father is God. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He will teach us and care for us and sometimes discipline us but he never abandons us he forgives us when we fall and gives us strength and hope of changing to be more like he is if you think your own parents will be as good as God himself is you will put a burden on them that is too heavy for them to carry do you get that? the way to truly honour your parents is to know God as your father and let them off the hook a little. If you crave a parent's approval and have been feeling for years secretly disappointed and hurt, you will not be able to forgive them until you come and know the warm embrace of a father God who will never disappoint you. When you know him, it will heal your insides and liberate you to honour your father and mother rather than resent them. But we need to speak to parents as well, don't we? That was just part one. Children. Do you need a breather? (laughs) This is a big subject, isn't it? Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Oh man, when I read this verse, I feel like I want to write a letter to all my children and say, I'm really sorry. (laughs) Um, Maybe that's one reason why I stuck with this this week, I don't know. The question arises straight away, why does Paul single out dads here? I think that that is partly a reflection of the culture that he is writing within. So, doing a bit of research on this this week. Remember that this is before schools existed. 
much of a child's education was done at home and I, I believe the convention was that the mother would generally look after the infant department and the dad would look after the junior and high school department so between the age of about 7 to 16 the dad would effectively take the child under his wing and teach him what he knew about life work the world it was the dad's job to educate children between those ages but Roman law and this is the time Paul's writing in was very famous for the absolute power it gave to fathers let me read to you William Barclay um, a Roman father had absolute power over his family he could sell them as slaves imagine that he could force them to work in his fields even in chains he could take the law into his own hands for the law was in his own hands and punish his children as he liked he could even inflict the death penalty on his children it seems amazing to us this was the law of patria potestas fathers could even abandon their newborn children if they didn't want them and of course there'd be many families who wouldn't live like that but the point is this was the way the law was in this Roman culture the dad was the king over everything in his house and one writer says here effectively Paul is ruling out here excessively severe discipline unreasonably harsh demands the abuse of authority arbitrariness, unfairness constant nagging and condemnation subjecting a child to humiliation and all forms of gross insensitivity to a child's needs and sensibilities behind this curbing of a father's authority is the clear recognition that children while they are expected to obey their parents and the Lord are people in their own right who are not to be manipulated, exploited or crushed so Paul here doesn't just speak to the vulnerable he speaks to the one in authority too uh, one thing that really struck me when I was preparing this I'm going a bit off piece here when, when you think of these three pairs husbands and wives parents and children employers and workers in history probably the three groups that have been most vulnerable have been women, children and workers it's very interesting isn't it that Paul speaks right into those three areas Jesus himself welcomed children dignified women and spent the first 30, of his li- 30 years of his life working in his dad's carpenter shop so if anyone dignified manual labour it was Christ and Paul here too speaks to curb the abuse of authority the, the answer to abusive authority is not no authority. The answer to abusive authority is for it to rein its neck in and for it to be forced to rein its neck in if the law allows for that. Paul here speaks to fathers in a very brutal first century culture and says, do not exasperate your children. I, I wonder whether 
In our culture, the opposite is true though. Maybe 2,000 years later, our issue now is not that fathers are abusive, but that fathers are absent. So Paul is saying, do not exasperate your children. Maybe children are as much exasperated by dads who are not there than dads who are unreasonably harsh. So, do not exasperate, but instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. To exasperate, what does that mean? Um, It means to provoke to anger. Now, so fathers, do not make your children angry. Now, I don't think Paul means never make your children angry. I think um, any parent who loves their children will at some point in their family life have a conflict where the child goes off feeling very angry with what the parent has said to them. So I don't think Paul here is saying that there's no anger at all. I think what Paul is saying here is that there is a way to parent your children that will result in them having a settled and deep and profound sense of resentment and irritation. That's what it means to exasperate our children. In Colossians, Paul says something very similar when he says, Colossians 3.21, Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. So look with me at verse 4, because Paul is making a very deliberate contrast here. Um, He says, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Can you see what Paul's doing there? He's making two different outcomes opposite. In the one hand, we can exasperate our kids. Paul says, instead of that, do this. And the implication is, if, if you do this, it's likely that this won't happen. If you don't do this, it's likely that this will happen. Do you get that? So he's making a very deliberate... In other words, you can avoid exasperating and bittering your children if you do the other stuff that Paul says here. There are many ways we can embitter our children, making unreasonable demands on them, constantly finding fault with them, (coughs) neglecting to spend time with them, being inconsistent in applying discipline. There are many things that we can do that would contribute to our children being irritated. But what I want to do is focus on this passage here. There's a lot of stuff we could say here. So, I I just want to say two things. And there's kind of a flip side to each one, so really, we'll end up summarising four points, okay? Are you still with me? Well, here's number one. Parenting, then, will mean bringing up your children not to need you. Does that sound counterintuitive? Bringing up our children not to need us. That sounds 
very hard. What does Paul say? He uses this lovely phrase, bring them up. He does not say, put them down. He does not say, keep them penned in. What Paul says is, bring them up. And it is a lovely phrase. The word behind that phrase is a word that means nourish them gently. Bring them up. And there's a great tension here between dependence and independence. Um, As our children have grown up, sometimes I've said to them, possibly as they're kind of 10 or 11 or whatever, maybe going into their teens, I've tried to say to them, because it's the best illustration I could think of, that the next phase of their life is like going into a tunnel. And when they go into the tunnel, there'll be a child. And then they'll go on a journey through this tunnel, and when they come out the other end of the tunnel, they'll be an adult. And the problem with this tunnel is that while you're in the tunnel, you've no idea whether you're a child or an adult. And it's very confusing, because there's a sense in which you're neither one nor the other. Some days you'll feel like a child and want to cuddle. And other days you'll feel so grown up and want to be free. And some days you'll feel like that alternately every other ten minutes. And it's quite hard being a parent as well, for the tunnel of the teenagers is a hard one to negotiate because we inevitably try to give a cuddle when our kids want to be free and let them go when they really want a cuddle. And we always seem to get that wrong. But here's the point I'm trying to get to. Here's the bigger deal. Some parents, for all sorts of reasons will send their children out into the world to be adults way too soon. And other parents will send them out into the world way too late or never. Both of those extremes will have deep consequences. I think parents who expose their children to things too early do so often because there are dysfunctionalities there they can't cope or maybe there's something going on in the parent's life. Just to exaggerate this a little, um, Ian Fenton and I were at a conference recently, actually with Graham, who's sitting on the back row there. And we were hearing the story of Mes McConnell he grew up in Halifax. Um, he's a pastor now in Glasgow. And he told us the story of how he was on the street at the age of two. And recently, I wasn't going to necessarily talk about this, but recently he found out that his stepmom, not his real mum, his stepmom um, had died. And he came across another obituary that some other kids had written about their mum. And let, let me, that's a bit confusing, that, isn't it? Let me read the, the other story first. This is not about Mes McConnell. Marianne Theresa John, Johnson Reddick, born January 4th, 1935, and died alone September 30th, 2013. She is survived by, by her six of eight children whom she spent her lifetime torturing in every possible way. 
While she neglected and abused her small children, she refused to allow anyone else to care or show compassion toward them. When they became adults and stalked, she stalked and tortured anyone they dared to love. Everyone she met, adult or child, was tortured by her cruelty and exposure to violence, criminal activity, vulgarity, and hatred of the Gentile or kind, Gentile or kind human spirit. And this is what her kids wrote. On behalf of her children, whom she so abrasively exposed to her evil and violent life, we celebrate her passing from this earth and hope she lives in the afterlife, reliving each gesture of violence, cruelty and shame that she delivered to her children. Her surviving children will now live the rest of their lives with the peace of knowing their nightmare finally has some form of closure. That's the kids writing the obituary for their mum. Mes McConnell came across that blog and he said the above is pretty much what I would like to express I would like to go to my mum's funeral to stand and let everybody know what this person was truly like and how much damage she did I want her to get her just desserts even though I know thanks to Christ I will never get mine and then he says and the blog goes on I am a pastor I should know better. Seriously honest. On the streets, way too soon, while some parents, because of their own issues, can be underprotective, some parents can be overprotective. Some of us like it when our children are dependent upon us and we parent in ways which are designed subtly to prolong that dependency and so we can easily without realising it fall into controlling and manipulating our children way into adulthood so that actually they're never truly free the idea of parenting then for Paul is counterintuitive fathers do not exasperate your children instead bring them up Love them enough for them to be safe and secure and well taught but love them enough to be able to let them go. It's not hard to see how getting this wrong would exasperate a child and cause bitterness. On the one hand, the child is thinking you didn't care enough to protect me. On the other hand, the child is thinking you didn't trust me enough to let me be me. It is crucial, isn't it, that we let our children make mistakes. We cannot protect them from everything. They need space and time to develop and to grow and to think for themselves and to learn. And we need to respect them in that. So parenting means bringing up our children so that they will not need us that's really hard to get our heads around isn't it if we're parents secondly parenting will balance will mean balancing discipline and explanation the words Paul uses here are not that good in the NIV bring them up in the training and instruction of the, of the Lord the word training there is, is really it really is, is the sense of discipline 
The word instruction is okay, that means explanation. So what is discipline? Discipline means setting boundaries and enforcing them. It means being willing to administer the sometimes chastening consequences or sanctions. It does mean being willing as parents sometimes to cross our children. It does mean sometimes being willing to say no. I remember being on holiday once and we got friends with a couple and the guy, one of my kids came running up to me and said, can I have an ice cream? And I just said, no. And they just ran off. And he had two daughters, this guy, he'd just been windsurfing and he turned to me and said, how do you get away with that? How do you get away with that? (laughs) No idea. Maybe we're just really cool. No. So he, he was kind of longing for the day when he could just say no to his kids and they wouldn't Screaming somewhere at him, I don't know. We, we, we do need to be willing. This is about... We, we long for the approval of our children. But if that makes us under-discipline them, we're, we're, we're creating problems. But Paul also here speaks of instruction, talking, explanation. Here he's referring to coaxing, persuading reasoning, explaining and I just love the balance here there, there is a tre- there's a couple of trends in our culture, maybe, maybe you, you, you might not agree with this but th- this is my observation What one trend I think is a trend to resolve all conflict by talking and some groups in our modern culture teach that there's no place in the home at all for discipline and that all problems should be resolved as win-win scenarios by careful dialogue. I think Paul here does talk about careful dialogue, but he balances that. There, there, there are two different things needed, discipline and talk. And imagine if you only did one of these as a parent. If you only ever disciplined, but never talked, we, we would be treating our children like animals that just need training, you know, step snap into line. And we'd be forgetting that they are little people, human people, they're not animals. And the exasperation in their case would come from them thinking, you never listened to me. You didn't understand me. Every time I stepped out of line, you just disciplined me. But on the other hand, if we only ever talk and there was never any consistent discipline, we will end up burdening our children with explanations and analysis. And and maybe the exasperation here is, you were always analysing me. You you taught me to death. (laughs) Maybe another trend is the idea that the home is a place that is really primarily a place to nurture a child's self-esteem. And the idea in our modern culture is that the home should not be a place of instruction because that would be imposing values. It is a place for children to work out who they are. 
The danger with that is that when a child comes to a parent and says, you know, what, what is right and wrong, if the parent is metaphorically saying to the child, well, it's up to you. It is up to you. You've got to work out these things for yourself. That is the most disturbing abdication of all. Research actually suggests that it's better to teach children something that they later learn is wrong than not to teach them anything at all. That is less healthy. So there are at least four things here that Paul touches on. We're nearly done. You made me grow up too fast. This implies a lack of care because you expected me to be an adult before I was ready to be an adult. Or, you never let me grow up at all. That implies a lack of trust. Or, you were too strict. You over-disciplined me and never really took the time to understand me. Or, you were too tolerant. You over-analysed. And I was confused because you left me too many things to work out on my own. How can those of us who are parents possibly do this? This is why I found this hard this week. What an hour I have to preach on this. The reason our world is dysfunctional, the reason we often do these kind of things to our children is because we have our own issues. We need our children's approval so we under-discipline them. We fear our children's imperfections so we over-discipline them. We crave our children's dependency so that we end up stifling them. We fear our own mistakes and end up neglecting them. Here's the point. In the end, our children cannot deliver us from our fears and provide us with all that we need. They are not mini-gods to be worshipped or feared to get what we think we need. Only God is truly God. What we need most as parents is to know the real and living God as our loving Father too. Because in the end, only the security that we have in Him can set us free to be the parents God wants us to be. The more our approval comes from Him and His unconditional fatherly love for us, the freer we will be to parents in a healthy way. So we've come around full circle. Whether you are a parent or a child, some of you are both, I want to urge you to find your security in God. To know his fatherly love, his forgiveness and acceptance, and to know his fatherly correction and discipline and truth. If you're a child, do not let your parents be a substitute for God. Love God first and honour your parents. And if you're a parent, don't let your child be a substitute for God either. Love God first and bring them up in the training 
and instruction of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray.